All right, we are back. Real talk with Chuck and Pam. How are you, you Chuck? Why are you talking like because that? You're so I'm excited. Like, I am. I am because I'm back from vacation, and what oh, a vacation yeah, it was. It. Yes, yes. That'll do it. Yeah, that'll back do it. in maybe, Illinois. I thought you were maybe excited because we're finally getting into the summer movie season, and we're starting to get uh, movies back on the big screen. I mean, it's we're it's starting oh, yeah. to get kind of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, I remember why. Yeah, this is why you do this. What do this. I do? This what is do I why do? you do this, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I am excited about getting back into the movie theaters. And we actually went to a screening together mm-hmm. for the very first time in a year and a half, Chuck. Yeah, we haven't done this since a year ago, this last February. Yeah, I'm trying to think what the last thing was I drove up to see before that. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's been that long, and also my memory shot. Yeah, that's but uh, yeah, no, it was good. It was good to be, like you say, back in the movie uh, theater, and also to see our colleagues. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of them don't know what the hell they're talking about, but still, <laughs> it was good to see them. You know. It was. It was to catch up and and, and seeing the publicists, and yes. it was kind of like old home week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. hometown welcoming. Yeah. So yeah. that but was fun. It, yeah, we still got a ways to go though, because that theater was we were sparse. I mean, they had yeah. it spread out, and uh, and that was fine. But, um, but yeah, it was good, and hopefully by fall, we're back to where we need to be. And one of the movies that we did not get a chance to see on the big screen, let's start with Cruella. I want you to take that one away because you liked it a hell of a lot more than I did. Well, I've got taste. So, you know, that usually, you know, is the determining <laughs> Excuse me. factor. A so. little, little, little something oh, caught in my throat there. there. Yeah. <laughs> a little verklempt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Cruella. This was a movie, and I've said this many times, if you have low expectations, you're opening yourself up to being surprised. And I did not want to watch this movie. I mean, I... Really? I mean, after the uh, Glenn Close uh, features, which didn't impress me, I, I didn't think there was much that Disney could do with Cruella. Uh, it is, I'm going to just say it right off the top, it's a flawed film. It's far from perfect. Uh, a lot of the things that you are going to criticize it mm-hmm. about, I'll probably say, yeah, you're right. Okay. Uh, but it surprised me. It was not what I thought it was going to be. It was much darker than I thought it was, be, was going to be, as Cruella takes a look at the birth and the childhood of this woman who becomes Cruella de Vil. Her name is actually Estella. Uh, and she's born, um, and her mother just doesn't know what to do with her. She's always in trouble. She's got weird hair that's black and white. Uh, she's opinionated. She goes her own way. She's always getting thrown out of school. Uh, what am I going to do with this kid? And, uh, yeah, mom just does her best and doesn't know what to do. Uh, and decides, well, we need a new start. And so they head off to England. And this is in the late 50s early 60s when this is happening, when she's at that age, and mom meets an unexpected tragedy, and that's all I'll say at this point as far as that's concerned. Uh, Cruella then becomes a child of the street. Uh, she ends up meeting her buddies Jasper and Horace, who, which we know from the other films. They are both children of the street as well, and they engage in uh, shenanigans and scams and thefts, whatever they need to do in order to uh, get by. But Cruella shows a flair for fashion. She's always sketching, she's always drawing, and one of her friends comes up with an idea and actually gets her a job at a fashion house run by the Baroness, played by Emma Thompson, who's having a lot of fun here. Uh, this is, uh, you know, the highest of high fashion, and Cruella ends up getting her attention, the Baroness's attention, and before you know it, she is the Baroness's Assistant, And the Baroness has no problem stealing good ideas when she sees them and takes credit for a lot of Cruella's designs. 
Uh, Cruella then decides she's going to take her down, and it is a war between these two fashion moguls. And there's a big plot twist that I'm leaving out purposely as well. I see you smiling over there. I do. I am smiling. Yeah, yeah, because you can't believe they like. You know, this movie is like Joker, Todd Phillips' Joker. It really tries to give us a dynamic background for this character that we think we know, tries to get us to sympathize with her, tries to explain what makes her tick. And as I said, it's not completely successful. It's too long. Way too, too long. long. Two it, hours and 14 minutes. It becomes repetitious. I'm, I'm with you. Okay. I agree. Okay. I don't Tell know, me what else I didn't like. I don't know <laughs> who this is pitched to. Absolutely not. It is not a kid's film. Do not bring your young children no. to this. This is way too dark. It is, and it's dark, and that's what I liked about it. It was dark. It went to places I didn't think it would go. Uh, I thought it was kind of clever at times, the way they explain certain things that we know about the character. Um, again, it's flawed, but I would still recommend it. I would not recommend it because it is way too flawed. It is, as you said, way too long. They needed to edit a good 30 to 40 minutes out of this. The very beginning, as we talked about before, we thought, oh my gosh, is this going to be an all-child cast in telling yeah. the story of Cruella? They spent a good, what, 30, 40 minutes. Mm. It felt like a good mm. 30, 40 minutes. Don't tell me what I felt. It felt I'm like not telling you what, I'm just <laughs> trying to get to the facts. <laughs> um, way too long in this very beginning part of the childhood de uh, development of, of Estella. I liked a lot of that, though, but it was too much. Too much to set it up for the Emma Stone version of Cruella. See, I didn't like the kids' stuff because I was like, wow, I've seen this before. We're well, just going to sit through another Disney kid movie like you were saying. Right. And I was pleasantly surprised when we weren't. Well, but then I felt like I was watching The Devil Wears Prada. Well, you know why. <laughs> because it basically is. Well, the, one, of the, one of the people who were responsible for the script wrote that. Ah, well, there you go. Yeah, oh, yeah, completely. Had, had a bunch of pulling um, from that script. Oh, yeah, to you make use that, the template from that and you just weave in the Cruella story. That's what they've done. And so I was bored. I was, you knew where it was bored go. to death. Yes, there, there was the, the one plot twist that you're referring to that we will not discuss, that I have some issues with that one as well. Um, and then I, I'm going to. Why? Because it's too dark or because. It no, just the, didn't the, seem right. It didn't seem right. It, and also the character development. We have the little girl, Estella, who's feisty. And she sticks up for the little guy. She oh, sticks, yeah. And that's... and that's pretty darn cool. And then all of a sudden, you know, all of these characteristics, all these attributes that she has as a child, now she's she's the Emma Stone version of Estella. And Emma Stone is is awkward and, and sweet and demure. Oh. And, and it was too much of Emma Stone's stereotypical performance imbued into this performance of Estella. I, I, I thought it was miscast. I didn't think she acted that way. I thought that was all an act. Oh, I just felt like it was her. I, I thought like it was every her other just character being, you know, she's played fading in into the background before she could pounce. But what about no. the clothes? Okay, the clothes were really cool. I mean, the clothes were really cool. Pro, uh, the the um, set design. Oh, great um, stuff. Incredible. Um, music was Whoa. interesting. Right, and we should <laughs> probably point out that this is set during the late 60s, early 70s in London, and the whole mod fashion right. wave that was going on then. So I thought that was really a smart backdrop uh, for this. And I love the whole sequence where we see uh, Cruella upstaging the Baroness again. And again, I thought those were, were, were pretty clever as well. Right. Um, too much time spent on the long pan out to close up of, of Estella Cruella 
and it was just like, okay, I see her, her expression isn't changing at all. And um, how much longer are we going to spend oh doing this? It was just way are too you long. A teenager? That is well, no, I have taste. I well, you know, it's all in your mouth. I've said that many times. <laughs> <laughs> so this this one was was as, I, as we talked about the production design, set design, costuming, makeup, pretty darn makeup was cool. cool. Yeah. So because of that. I'm going to say I'm on the fence on this one. Okay. Um, I did like some of the references with the Dalmatians and setting it up for the next thing. Mark Mark Stone, is that his name? Yes. Who I absolutely love. Yeah. Totally underutilized. And he's a pivotal character in this. Why and, and, didn't they explore him a little bit more and take and, away some of the other stuff? And, and, and weird casting there because he's the nice guy. Yeah. And, and, and Strong usually doesn't play. Him. I'm glad you sat through the credits a little bit to see the setup. Yeah. I thought that was clever, too. You know, I, I think we're both on the fence, but I'm leaning on the fence towards liking it, and you're leaning right. in the other direction. Got a little seesaw so teeter we're, we're going on. We're balancing the fence here on Cruella. <laughs> yeah. I don't think uh, that's going to be the case with our next film. I, I think we're pretty much in sync with uh, Quiet Place Part 2. Right. And, and this one, I've always said, do you really need to do a sequel on anything? Rarely does the sequel live up to its predecessor, mm -hmm. and this is no exception to the rule. Um, I think what happens with The Quiet Place 2, we, we pick up, actually we start from the very, very beginning, <laughs> very, very beginning, day one, with um, the Abbott family and their... Happy-go-lucky, little, t small town. Norman Rockwell. Yeah, it was Norman Rockwell. So it's an idyllic little town, mm -hmm. and they have an idyllic little family, and lots of wonderful things are happening, and then all of a sudden they're invaded by these aliens. And we get a glimpse into how all of this devastation and horror began. And then we're catapulted into the quote-unquote current day, mm -hmm. day 476 or 784 picking, or whatever it was. We're, we're picking up seconds after the first one <laughs> yeah. ends. I mean, seconds. So if you didn't watch the first one, watch the first one and tune out for a couple of minutes because I'm going to give a few spoilers away. <laughs> um, we, When we're back in the idyllic little setting, we meet one of the main characters who has a huge role Emmett is a family friend who's got a family, and um, he's played by Cillian Murphy. He becomes an integral part of being able to save the world. Evelyn, played by Emily Blunt, the mom, has a newborn baby mm -hmm. and two other children. One of them died, so if you right, didn't yeah, see it. Yeah, we know the first. Yeah, yeah. For, uh, great call out to that, though, in the beginning. Yes, I yes. will give. Yeah, okay. I love yes, that. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> that was that was ingeniously done, and you know there are a lot of really wonderfully artistic aspects to this film yeah. that John Krasinski, who is the director of the film and co-writer, um, or writer actually, I think writer the characters one, were yeah. developed by two other people, mm -hmm. um, wonderfully done artistically. But there were so many different elements that were preposterous that took me, jarred me out of what was happening yeah. to make me roll my eyes. We both looked at each other several times, like, like "What the? Can you believe he's why, doing this?" I would, this is not part of his. Hey, character. wait a second! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what exactly. I did, what I did like is they're trying to fight the aliens, and um, Melissant uh, Simmons plays Reagan, the hearing impaired daughter who has a cochlear implant, which is a vital aspect of how they combat these creatures, these death machines. Um, I loved how we were brought into her world, and we experienced her world, her hearing impaired mm -hmm, world. Mm -hmm. And then we were jarred out of it back into the hearing world. And I loved the play with that, that we, we were able to experience Needed it that way. Needed to do more of that. I agree. Because that sequence was horrifying. It, it really when, was. When, when we can't hear anything. Oh. 
and she can't hear anything, but we can see what's happening, <laughs> right. and she can't. That was one of the highlights of the film. It, it was, and I think they, they should have focused more on that because yeah. what Evelyn does and taking her family away from what I felt like is a safe zone and taking them barefoot, and again, why are they barefoot? Yeah, I'm still not quite sure. I've been listening to me walking in shoes lately. And are you pretty quiet? I don't make a lot of noise, okay. I don't think. I don't know. Yeah, even in tennis shoes, I would think, right? Well, I think they're called sneakers. They are. Yeah. For a reason. <laughs> so, yeah, that didn't make sense. And then the other little boy, um, Marcus, played by oh. Noah Jupe, he's a little scaredy cat. And, and that's fine. That's all well and good. But then they just use this as a plot device to have some other horror horror scenes occur and it just doesn't gel the creativity and the novelty of this concept was done once yeah. and now it's no longer novel or fresh so i i thought this was like a shell game uh i thought he was distracting us because you're right it's an incredibly well-made film we were talking afterwards about a sequence in which krasinski's cutting back and forth between three different scenes and matching things visually and sound-wise, between the three scenes, all of them very tense. And that was incredible. It was seamless. And the opening scene, which I have a lot of problems with because I think it's just there to so that John Krasinski can be on the screen again. <laughs> but still, the way he's moving the camera, and as you say, there's great call-outs there. It's, it's a shell game because he's distracting us by making this so well and getting us sucked in that we're not supposed to notice or think too hard about <laughs> all the stupid... But this one, you know, and, and I, I went back and read my review for the first one. And I had the same problem with that one, too. Did there you were, really? There were moments where, you know, people do dumb things just so they can be in jeopardy. Okay. I, I think with the first one, I was just so enraptured by the concept and the, and the quietness and what is happening that I, right. I didn't think, perhaps, well, you know, I, I didn't have to because I was over. so distracted. <laughs> don't go back and watch it again, I, will, I would I will say. Not, I will not. Yeah. You know, and, and the other thing I was thinking was afterwards, just how thin this story is. Mm -hmm. Nothing much really happens when you stop and think about it. Well, it's it's, it's chased by the monsters, shoot the monsters. Chased well, by the monsters. we got to get to the island, and we do right. the thing. I mean, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we're we're definitely set up for a part three. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, and I have mixed feelings about this film. I want people to go back to the theater. I want the industry to bounce back. So I want this to do well at the box office, yeah. and I'm sure it will. Yeah, I'm sure it, it's a ready-made hit. Uh, if you like the first one, you're probably going to like this one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm on the fence on this one, but yeah. leaning away. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the fence in this one as well, and also leaning in the same direction as you, which means that's pulling us over to the oh other side. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I knew we would agree on this one. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's take a look at Blue Miracle. Did you have a chance to see that one? I watched it last night. Okay. And? I was pleasantly surprised. This, to me, is a Disney movie. Many ways, it's a Disney movie. <laughs> right? I don't know what it's doing on Netflix. But I know, yes, right? Yes, you're right. I, mean, I didn't make that connection until you just said it. Yeah. It is definitely a Disney movie, and it was something I had never heard about, the movie or the incident, uh, the event, I should say, that it's based on. Right. Uh, Blue Miracle is premiering on Netflix this week. I think it starts tomorrow, and it stars um, Dennis Quaid, as a crusty old guy, a crusty old fisherman uh, named Wade. He's channeling Harrison Ford in this film. Uh, <laughs> and, and Jimmy Gonzalez, who I was not aware of, but boy, I really liked him. Wasn't he good? He's great. A guy named Omar, and he runs an orphanage. He runs a shelter. He runs a home for boys. Who, in Cabo uh, San Lucas. Cabo San Lucas, exactly. And uh, we get to find out that there's a reason he does this. I mean, we find out some things about his past, uh, about something 
something that happened to his father. Uh, and he's not making ends meet at all. Uh, the bank is calling. They're going to foreclose on the place. I mean, it's only a matter of days before they are going to be shut down. And of course, what's going to happen to all these boys uh, once they have no place to go? Uh, interesting set of circumstances occur, though. Uh, there is a huge fishing tournament that occurs that I had never heard of, but mm-hmm. I don't fish. Right. Uh, I did some research after this, and it's a pretty big deal. It is, yeah. yeah. Big money involved. Big money, yeah. I guess uh, I, I read the year that this happened, which was 2014. Okay. They gave away $2 million in prize money. Wow. So, yeah, there's a lot of money to be had. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, before you can say... Uh, convenience in, in uh, screenwriting. Uh, Quaid, the crusty fisherman, and Omar are hooked up and they have entered this three-day fishing contest. And they're going out to try and hook a blue marlin. And the winner is the one that brings in the biggest fish. And wouldn't you know it, it's more than enough to save the orphan. Just more than <laughs> just enough. A, just a smidge. And along the way, of course, we have to have a colorful crew of orphans who are going to come aboard and help catch this fish. And, of course, the Quaid character hates cats. He hates cats. Get those damn kids out of here. Uh, and we have that whole thing as well. And, well, wouldn't you know, he's kind of a softy. Yeah, he's got a little backstory, too. He's got a backstory, too, and the kids kind of put him in his place. Completely predictable, but so darn sweet. Yeah. I, I didn't mind it at all. It's a nice family film with a great message, and knowing that this is based on a true story, that many of these events within this story actually happened, really warms your heart. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> you know? They, and with all movies like this, they show you pictures at the end of uh, you know the people, yeah, the real people. Yeah. And like I said, as soon as it was over, I was on Google, right? You know, looking around to see exactly what had happened, and it seemed to be pretty true to to the events, right? Uh, but you're right. It's a family film. It is. So if, if you want a family film this weekend, watch this and not Cruella. Yes. Cruella is not a family film on Disney. Netflix captured that one. And, and Netflix, you don't have to pay extra to watch Blue Miracle. Right. I mean, I think with uh, Disney Plus for Cruella, you're ponying up an extra 30 bucks. Right. So yeah, Blue Miracle. It's just, it's just sitting right there. Give it a shot. I liked it. Anything else going on? Oh, oh, I did want to share with you, The Kaminsky Method opens the third season. It right. um, starts on Netflix again um, tomorrow, Friday, May okay. 28th. And you and had an interview or two. I did. I had two interviews, one with Paul Reiser and with the co-star Sarah Baker, who plays Mindy. Sandy Kaminsky, played by Michael Douglas. That's his daughter in the role. Um, really fun series. Um, I'd check it out if you haven't seen season one and season two. Check it out. I love season one and season two. Season three premieres May 28th. And Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner is back again with with Michael Douglas once more as his ex-wife in in this, uh, in this season. Yeah. That's always cool to see. It is. Bigger roles, changes in the story. And this is the season finale and they knew this going into, Mm -hmm. uh, filming it. And, uh, Sarah shared some really interesting information about filming during COVID and we find out a little bit more about Paul Reiser, and he looks a lot different in the interview than he did in the in the TV series. Hmm. In a good way or bad? In a really good way. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, he knew he was going to be on the TV talking to you. So. <laughs> well, he's not bald and he's not fat, so. Oh. Okay. Well, that, <laughs> there that's, we go. that's good news. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have that on WCIA TV next week. Um, but in the meantime, check out our website. Real Talk with Chuck and Pam.com. Take a look at our Facebook page. We always have contests going on. Follow us, like us, share us, do all that kind of good stuff. And thanks for listening.